Are you ready to manage your work and personal world better to live a fulfilling, productive life? Then you've come to the right place. Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Here are your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks. Welcome back, everybody, to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. I'm Augusto Pinot. I'm Francis Wade. And welcome, gentlemen. Welcome to our listeners. Welcome to you all listening. And what we are going to do today is we are going to talk about backup plans. That is contingency planning for greater productivity. We all come into contact with situations where stuff just goes south. And we need to be able to be prepared. We need to be flexible and adaptive. We need to be dynamic in those circumstances to be able to recover from those situations. And so today we're going to talk about three umbrella areas, pretty much when things break, when technology goes wrong, and of course, when people snap. And so those will be what we talk about today in terms of what happens when those three areas of our world's meltdown, and we have to still be productive. We still have to get things done, even when the problems arise. So let's start off with the notion of when things break. And Augusto, do you want to start us off with uh, a personal example? (laughs) (laughs) Augusto can start with a personal example as he wake up this morning, grab his glasses out of his nightstand and end up with half of the glasses on the hand, the legs, one of the legs is broke. So traveling this week and I have all these busy things and it throws your morning off when you now need to add something that you know is time-consuming. It's not as simple as say, okay, well, I need to replace it. Is I need to go stop on a particular place that only open on a certain time. So it throws a big wrench on your planning. And like that, many of these things, many of these unexpected failures, and some of them you can plan the contingency. I mean, I went open the drawer on my nightstand and pulled an old set of glasses, and I have glasses, otherwise I will not be able to see anything. Okay, But, but it's still a problem that now needs to be turned into a project that we need to look for next actions and everything else. So what do you do when all those things come in your already complicated life? I'm very conscious of this, um, of the whole business of having backups, because when I, I, I migrated to Jamaica from living in the U.S., it was, it was like moving from the land of reliable everything to the land of, to a land of random, random everything, random everything else. <laughs> like, it's just, it was, it was a culture shock to go from, being able to live a very ordered, reliable, trusted, um, in in some ways boring um, life in which everything was extremely predictable and things were easy as a result. To move to a country where where every day is a breakdown of some new concoction that you sort of have to navigate. And it, it was it was it was very difficult at first. It's still it's still extremely challenging because when the when the things that you can't rely on develop and become new and all of a sudden intrude into your world, it, it, it's it still takes the, the same level of ingenuity and effort. Like for example, um, just in the last year or so, my cell phone service has basically stopped working. Part of it is that I live up in the hills, but. Something has changed in the networks here in Jamaica, the two major cellular phone providers. 
and the, the service that they provide has deteriorated to the point where half of the time it's impossible to have a phone call and I've basically stopped receiving phone calls because people call me and all they get is voicemail. So I've had to adjust and readjust and use FaceTime and ha- and Google Hangouts and and Telegram and Skype and WhatsApp is is of no help, unfortunately. It's very popular, but it's so popular that the, the the word is that the telephone companies are throttling it because they're losing too much revenue. But the other ones all work somewhat. So this is required, and this is just in the last year. But it's just an example of what. The, the kind of thing that when there's no backup, you have to sort of go and create one. You bring up a great point, which is that when when things break, uh, like your cellular network, <laughs> telephone network generally, then you need to make sure that you're aware of some, some pieces of the puzzle. Uh, one is that it can break. Almost everything in your world can break. I have a microphone that I'm speaking into right now, and we'll get to technology stuff soon. But you know, the 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 microphone arm could break. There's springs and joints, and I use it every day, and it could just break. And what happens in those cases where there is a breakage, and you need to now recover from that and still move on? Now, my contingency plan is understanding what the scenario is, right? So what are the various ways in which things could break and knowing what are the ways in which the contingency plan kicks into place, right? So there's a scenario, there's a cyber attack. You you then think of, okay, what are the scenarios in which there could be a probability of some impact on your ability to continue to have continuity? In this case, for me, I always think of business continuity, but you were talking about your productivity system. So uh, your productivity continuity then becomes what's the probability of an impact? And those are the things that we pay attention to. So what could break in your world? And what would trigger you to know that there is a break? Um, And so, for example, if your car's engine light comes on, that's a trigger because it's at least warning you and you then have the opportunity to do that. Uh, if you are writing with your pen and all of a sudden the pen starts to, and it's your only pen, you know, you have on an offsite meeting and it starts to, you know, give, not have enough ink in it, right? You know, you're like, wait a second, why is this not, why is the ink not flowing properly? That's a, a warning. That's a trigger. Um, and then you have to figure out how you respond to the whole scenario. And so in the pen example, uh, I always carry extra pens. I actually carry way too many pens on me at all times. And this is actually two problems in one. The first problem is that my pen could run out of ink. I traditionally write with fountain pens and I just like having a nice, you know, everyday, nothing fancy fountain pen, but I I tend to feel like it slows me down enough to think more thoughtfully about what I'm writing, especially when I'm taking notes by hand uh, on like physical agendas that might be given to me at meetings. The other is I've been forced to use the uh, the the friction pens that go with the the Everlast the, the Rocketbook Everlast notebooks that I use for capturing my own internal notes when I'm meeting one to one with clients, and so that notebook uses the the gel ink pen that comes with the friction 
you know, inside the friction pen. And so I have those two. So I, I already carry two pens for when I'm capable of writing on my own or when I'm taking specific notes, but I want to use some automation through Everlast Notebook and Evernote and any other automation that's going to then get triggered beyond that, automatically sending it to, to whomever I need to. Well, the problem is that uh, I frequently go to meetings and other people don't have pen and paper. And so I actually carry extra pen and paper for those people because frequently I'm delegating or making recommendations of projects and actions to those people. And I want to make sure that they capture them because I can't depend upon others to have great productivity systems. And that by itself is a contingency plan. My contingency plan is that no matter what other tools people have or don't have or systems they have or don't have, I want to be there to at least help them say, okay, well, here goes a half sheet of paper and here goes a pen capture. And not rudely, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be empowering. I'm not trying to be condescending or controlling, uh, even though I am a control freak and uh, <laughs> admittedly so, uh, but it really helps to be able to, to come into those perspectives. My life in, in my new life in Jamaica has it's not new anymore, 15 years, but I, I've developed a, an ethos that I never had before, which is that I, I keep things as simple as possible. What I mean simple, I mean, like, for example, I'm a, I'm a cyclist, as you probably know, probably recall from prior episodes. And yesterday we did a 90 something mile ride that took about eight hours long. So there, there, there are choices that you have to make when you do a long ride like the one I did about the, the, the kind of equipment, food, nutrition, equipment, the kind of choices you make so that you can last, basically, and make it to the end. And what I've learned over time is that the, I need to make simpler choices, more mainstream choices. So, for example, the, the Dorella, which is the gearing on my bicycle, is not electric, which is the brand new fancy thing that people have. Some guys have it, but... If it breaks, the number of people here in Jamaica who can fix an electric gear is maybe, well, it's definitely in the single digits, <laughs> maybe only one. And the first person to get it, when his broke, he had to send it back to Miami to get it repaired. So there was no riding for him until it got repaired and came back. And so what I've learned is that when it comes to making choices, like, for example, what to eat on the bike, what to drink, I need to keep the choices simple. In other words, mainstream. In other words, not stay away from being on the cutting edge of anything because cutting edge stuff is more likely to break. And when that cutting edge stuff breaks, it's harder to find someone to fix it. In other words, it's not as sustainable. So that ethos has sort of permeated my life um, and in many ways. I, I'm still using Windows 7, as you know, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I'm using Windows 7 is that I tried upgrading to Windows 10 and I noticed that a bunch of stuff broke and I said, oh, heck no. And I reverted back within within an hour back to Windows 7. Same same philosophy. I want to stick with making choices that, that keep me in the mainstream. They're already proven. People already know how to fix them. There's lots of stuff on YouTube that tells you how to repair it. So I stay away from choices that are newfangled, and cutting edge as a result, unless I'm testing something that is of interest. For the most part, operational daily stuff, 
have moved way into the mainstream just to reduce the mean time between failure. But you bring up a great point and, and to kind of underscore what you're talking about here, which is that the less moving parts, the less complexity of the system, the more likelihood that there are fewer points, I mean, not the likelihood, the fact is there are fewer opportunities for something to break when you develop a system that does not have as many moving parts. And I mean this both in the abstract sense and in the physical sense. So if Augusto had a pair of glasses that was made out of all one, you know, they have those glasses. What are they called? Um, you guys probably know this, the ones that are made out of all one sheet of metal, you know, and they just kind of like bend it and torque it and uh, bend it and so forth until it uh, fits into, a, a you know, a, the shape of glasses. That's one of those things where it's like, because it has only one part other than the, the lenses, there are a few points of breakage. And so therefore they're more durable glasses. For example, solid state drives versus um, spinning hard drives, right? And, and we're gonna talk about technology in a moment. And the uh, important part is that I, as quickly as possible, transition to solid state drives as I could in all of our backup systems at the office and at home. And the reason for that was because less parts to break. Uh, you know, spinning hard drives uh, have a lot of ways in which they can fail. They're all pretty reliable from all of the major companies nowadays, but why, why risk it? And so um, solid state drives have fewer moving parts, therefore higher likelihood of uh, working for a longer period of time. And as Francis said, then it's a an increased mean time before failure. And, and just for those who don't know what that means, um, every product that you own in the world uh, that has been manufactured has what's called an MTBF and mean time before failure. That is the average time mean, right? Mean, modal, uh, average, and range are the four averages. And so the mean average of time before that thing breaks. And so everyone who develops a product uh, calculates the mean time before failure, or they should if they're good. And that's the time in which you should understand when to replace things. So contingency planning also then includes the notion that you should know when to replace something before it breaks so that you don't have that. Or uh, in the case of, of a situation where you don't want to replace it yet because it's still working, you may decide to purchase the replacement at the time of the MTBF, the mean time before failure, such that when it does break, you immediately have the replacement to get started. Let's move along now to when technology goes wrong. What do you do when the tech goes haywire? So we've been muddling in those waters a little bit in our prior segment when we were talking about when things break, but in reality, technology is one of those things that I think about in terms of more digital technology and electronics and, and the stuff that you can't see. So more, more software and more in the, in the background, like you don't really know the, what's happening in terms of your DHCP uh, licensing in your Wi-Fi. So th those are the kinds of things that when those technology functions go wrong, you have a little less control, but you want to be able to still have a contingency plan in place. So let's talk about that. What happens when technology goes wrong for you? Uh, give us an example and how you archetype contingency planning in that environment. You know, there was an important thing mentioned here and is how do you simplify that? And as you were looking at that, you're talking about that. I was looking at my what is in front of me, and 
one of the reasons I rely so much on on the iOS is the fact that for because of what I do and the mobility I have, it is really important for me to be able to be productive almost anywhere. So having the iPad and not only having the iPad, but having the iPad that can replicate on any iOS device, including walking into an Apple store, putting my ID and having all my devices or all my things in there, it really gave me a fantastic contingency plan. I have two iPads. I can grab any of them and it will have everything in there. Can I do that with a Mac or a PC? Yes, you can. I did it. Many years ago, I traveled with two, well, at the time, heavy laptops, okay, because of that contingency plan, because of the amount of traveling I was doing, I could not afford to lose the laptop. And as Francis was was describing, I was traveling a lot to Latin American countries where if your laptop die, it's not as, oh, let me walk to Best Buy and get the replacement. It is, it can be a significant problem. So having all that, it's been now these days, I really can walk into any place, grab an iOS device, put my credentials, and everything will be synchronized in there and have all my information. That really allows me to relax to a certain extent my backup plans because I know it's really easy to solve the problem. It may not be the perfect device, but it it's allows me to solve the problem in a way that no other device right now will allow me to. So because of that, my business has moved significantly to rely on, on iOS devices. On the flip side, the reason why and in full disclosure, I'm the Google Small Business Advisor for Productivity. So as you can imagine, I am a Google fan. Uh, if you haven't listened to this podcast before, <laughs> and um, and there's a reason for it, though. In, in, in my personal life, I have embraced Google in almost every way. And in my professional life, we are a G Suite shop. And so I've embraced Google in that professional way as well. And the reason for that is because of what Augusto is talking about. Having that kind of backbone ecosystem to be able to depend upon is very powerful. And if I took my laptop right now and threw it out the hotel window, guess what? Doesn't matter. I could pick up any laptop, any computer, anywhere. And with my login credentials and my Uh, two-factor authentication little key fob that I have to plug in in order to be able to access my account for extra security, I have the ability to log into my my Google ecosystem, both personal and professionally, from anywhere that has an internet connection. And that is that just allows me to be productive in so many ways and is part of my contingency plan for almost everything. You know, if I walk in, I give seminars all the time. And when I step into a a workshop environment into a into a theater or any place like that, you know, all I have to do is walk up to the machine that's already in existence, log into my Google Drive, pull up my presentation, and I'm ready to go. And people are always amazed by this. And, and frequently I have to tell conference planners and summit planners, I'm not sending you my slides beforehand because they're in a they're in the cloud. There's no there's no other whatever. Um, And so I always download and have on a thumb drive a backup just in case for some reason we can't get uh, internet access at the location. And um, and I always I do now send to most summit and conference planners a link to the Google 
slides presentation so they know I've actually prepared. It's not like I'm not preparing uh, for the for the presentation. It's just that there's no file to really send because it's a it's a document in the in the web browser. Um, but anyway, the goal is for you to be able to to depend upon an ecosystem where you do have those things. And for example, I have a contingency plan for Google as well. I back up my entire Google ecosystem in a fairly complex way, but you don't have to do this as much in my in my perspective, I'm not going to trust Google with everything that I own, except to the extent that I already do. And then I want a backup of that. So I actually take everything in my Google system. And we I think we discussed this in a prior episode, and I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. But the reality is, is that I actually take all of my Google Docs, Google Sheets, Google Slides, and I actually download those as Microsoft formatted files through a piece of software. And then that gets backed up into the into OneDrive um, through Microsoft. So I actually have backups of all of my files uh, synchronously being done. I, I forget what the what this, you know, the frequency of its synchronization is, but I want to make sure that those things are being backed up in some other system such that, you know, should Google have an outage or something like that, uh, life goes on you know, productivity still needs to happen. And so I use that contingency planning process for being able to look at all the various places where there could be an incident, what is its impact on me? And it's pretty profound. If I walk into a seminar or a workshop environment, I'm going to teach a full day workshop. And I perceive that I was going to have internet access to be able to open up my presentation and work from that those slides all day long. Well, what happens when Google has an outage and now I have no access to it? Well, I go over to my Microsoft account, I log into Office 365, and I pull up the PowerPoint presentation that has been mirrored from the Google Slides. Is it going to be perfect? No. <laughs> Is it going to be a little bit fumbly because I'm not used to using uh, PowerPoint from the cloud or PowerPoint on the desktop as much as I am Google Slides now after a decade of using it? No. But Am I going to get the job done? Absolutely. So just be mindful of those kinds of things. I will note one other thing. Uh, the other day, a, a friend of mine was using Google Maps, and there was an outage. For whatever reason, There was it was localized. It was a, seemingly a small Google Maps outage. And what I had him do was just change uh, maps.google.com or google.com forward slash maps. Change the .com to .de or .es or whatever other... Uh, top-level domain you want to that Google has, and voila, Google.de, which is the German for Deutschland, uh, the German version of of Google. Google Maps pops right up, and you're good to go. Usually, that will fix it. So, if you're at Gmail or Google Calendar or otherwise, if the .com's not working because there's just seemingly an outage and you're getting a server 500 error, just try one of the other top-level domains, typically .de, .es, .it. For Italy, is that Italy? Yeah. Um, so just try one of those other top-level domains, and it usually kicks into gear, and 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 you can use that temporarily while uh, while the outage passes. I wanted to direct our listeners to to the podcast you and I did, and the tool that came from it. Put it in the show notes. I mean, I learned a lot from talking to you <laughs> first thing, and uh, we encapsulate I encapsulated the learning into the storage decision tool, which is really all about information and backing up information and what goes wrong if. To, or how to mitigate against something going wrong with respect to information. 
data. The idea was to essentially download the best practices that you have stored in your mind. That was that was sort of the intent. And over a three three podcast session, we did that, and you gave a, a wealth of information. And I turned that information into a decision tool, which would allow someone who wants to set up or buttress or improve or or add backups to their personal information system, their personal system for, for managing all the data in their lives, and came up with an approach that the tool allows you to ask and answer questions that the system puts to you, a little bit like a chatbot in a way. And as you answer the questions, you put together a plan for managing all of your data across all platforms. And um, that was the end product. And very insightful, very useful exercise that I personally learned a, a whole lot. And the, the idea of mean time between failure actually was one that you reminded me of. I, I'd never thought of it in terms of data, but that came from that conversation that we had, for example. Data always eventually corrupts. And uh, so, yeah, so go back and listen to those episodes. I'll put links to all of those in the show notes. Um, it's a it's a, it's a a long haul. I think I think we probably recorded for several hours, uh, all told. But remarkably, this, this is an area that I spend a lot of time thinking about because of my clients and and just because I'm built that way. And so um, hopefully those episodes are are beneficial to those who who decide to put in the energy and effort uh, to be able to, it's not just about backup either. It, you know, while, while we think about it from the perspective that you're just backing up data, it's also about being able to have peace of mind for access and um, and segmentation of your data so that you've diversified the risk across potentially different places. I wanted to add something about production technology, uh, which is that and I made this mistake uh, about two years ago. Um, I've been, always been an Outlook user, and I got seduced to the dark side by, by some e- an email client that shall go unnamed. But it was, it was being developed. But they had some features that made it very attractive. It, it seemed like you could do all these great things. They basically had a browser built into the, the email software. And I thought, oh, how cool, how nice, shiny object. And I switched over my email and then I had a problem. And when I tried to resolve the problem, I discovered there were no forums. The tech support was non-existent. I emailed the, the founder of the company and got no reply. And eventually I had to make a painful reversal back to Outlook. And what I learned is that when it comes to production software, so this is not software like for leisure purposes or for entertainment or to watch a movie or to try out some new, like the software you just mentioned, I'd go and try it, just kind of see what they've done. I'm talking production software, which is a software you must use every day, the the essential stuff. That when it comes to, to making a switch or making a choice as to what to use, you need to examine the entire ecosystem because chances are if something breaks, you need an answer on uh, uh, 12 o'clock on a Saturday night. You need to find a forum where there's a lot of people who have solved that problem 10 different ways from Sunday if you hope to be in uh, uh, to, to save the day and to be able to continue working. And that's, that's, that's no small feat. They're very, they're, they're relatively few that have a large enough followership to have all the answers provided or many answers provided. So before switching over, take a look at what kind of support there is either from the company itself or from other users. That is a great point. 
which is that you should always, always know what kind of technology support you're going to get and, and customer service that you're going to get from the vendor who's producing that software. You know, one of my my values is that I, where possible, I want to use uh, free open source software that is free as in the license structure, not as in no cost, but um, no cost is a, is a potential benefit, but free is in the free license, free is in freedom and open source is the, also the license structure. So uh, free open source software or FOSS is uh, designed around a, a set of principles that I fully believe in from a from a security perspective and from a community perspective. And the reality, though, is that many FOSS, uh, it comes with no customer support. <laughs> you know, there's a small team developing and putting their 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 full energy into something like that. And so you have to be mindful of the fact that that software may come with limited to no support. Yes, you can see the code and that's a benefit, but without a business model or at least a very, very strong community behind it, then you have have trouble. About a third of the world's websites are powered by WordPress, which in essence means that they're also powered by PHP, uh, which is a, another programming language, a web programming language and a server programming language. And the reality there though, is that you have a company that runs the whole process of developing WordPress.org. And so there is this strong foundation of management and control over the software. And we have a huge community behind PHP because it's one of the most widely used server languages in, in the world. And everyone can feel comfortable with using those, those pieces. But if you come across some little FOSS community that's developing something and you're going to use that for critical infrastructure and your productivity system, I would think twice and really hearken to Francis's thoughts there. I wanted to make one one other note about technology, which is as I as I started off the segment on the notion that sometimes technology that is in the background is and is possible uh, can possibly break. Be 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 aware of the fact that you don't always have to depend upon things just because of convenience. So one thing that we have come to depend upon for convenience purposes is Wi-Fi. And like I said before, uh, you don't control how Wi-Fi, you know, connects to your systems. And because of the way in which the Wi-Fi Alliance, this is the organization that builds the Wi-Fi standards, uh, they happen not to be uh, free open source software. They don't have open standards. So the process is not transparent. And guess what? When you have an, op a, 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 an opaque and, uh, you know, system, you get greater security risk. You don't have as many eyeballs trying to protect you. And so the Wi-Fi Alliance has put out most recently uh, Wi-Fi 6, the Wi-Fi standards for uh, that will that will supersede all of the other Wi-Fi standards. That's a very slow process and we're talking decades, uh, but they produced it in a vacuum. And so therefore there weren't as many smart cybersecurity uh, people looking at it. And so I'm sure there are already bugs that have been identified in that. And so th the reality is, is that your Wi-Fi is a security risk, number one. But let's set that aside. When it breaks, you have virtually, you know, no way to fix it. Um, so when possible, go out there and buy one of those RJ45s and an adapter, most likely because most computers now or laptops don't come with, a, with an RJ45 port 
which is an Ethernet port, typically called an Ethernet port. And you you can buy those and then just plug into the machine. What I find typically what people are doing is that they're they're losing productivity because what they're getting is mediocre internet speeds. And that slowdown, even if it's say five seconds here, 10 seconds there, over the course of a day, you lose 30 minutes, maybe an hour of time every time you wait for something to refresh, for some web application to come into um, come into view and fully load, or you know, you see the spinning disk in your web browser and the web page isn't loading fast enough. That's all because there are a number of different mitigating factors in being able to bring internet to you. And all of those seconds matter when you aggregate them into the whole. So from my perspective, as much as possible, I like to be physically connected to the internet and I know that doesn't make it as convenient because you can't, you know, bring your laptop wherever you want in order to be able to do that. And I'm not saying you do it all the time, but if you want to be most productive, being stationary in your environment, connected physically to the internet means you're going to have a more solid feed and you're going to be more productive. And there's just going to be less things to break. Remember the moving parts part, you know, discussion? Well, guess what? When you're connected to Wi-Fi, you have potentially thousands of moving parts um, per second, <laughs> okay? So you have you have thousands of moving parts per second. Clearly, there are more opportunities to break, and that's all happening over the air. And with uh, an Ethernet port, uh, Ethernet plug uh, or cable, you are now reducing the number of things that can break by putting a, a hard line con connection between you and the internet. So just a, a quick tip there that as, as much as I can, I like to be hard connected to the internet. And that means I have less problems. And, you know, if I'm just writing a, a one Google document, you know, and I want to go move to someplace else to do a bit of writing, or if I'm at the cafe, that's not possible. But where possible, when I'm in control of the environment, I like to be hardlined in. All right, let's move on. There comes a time when people snap. <laughs> so, you know, uh, physical things can break, infrastructure can break. There's always gonna be times when we have meltdowns. And I'm gonna give a, a very clear example here of a situation where I normally have a great and wonderful interaction with one of my clients. We know each other well, but in this particular circumstance, one day, I get back an email that is, you know, the 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 dreaded email, right? All caps, crazy, you know, kind of making uh, language. And I'm just stunned because I've never heard this type of, you know, reaction from the client. And I'm just like, what is going on here? Uh, thankfully, I have a plan, which is that when anybody responds to me in a, a heightened or an elevated emotional state, I become fully rational with them and I just stay in that place. That is, I model the behavior that I want to receive. And so when people snap, I try as best as I can to, uh, to respond in exactly the manner in which I would want to be respected, that I want to be respected. And it turns out that this person was undergoing, uh, you know, like some kind of audit and um, not a, a tax audit, but, you know, some kind of other, you know, business audit and was just under an intense amount of stress, uh, obviously to the point of breaking. <laughs> and and so, you know, after after about five or six emails back and forth of 
me just being very, not curt or terse, but just very direct about the fact that these are the things I can fix about the situation. These are the things that I cannot fix about the situation. And subsequent to whatever the circumstances that you're dealing with, I'm willing to sit down and have a conversation about it. That just helped flip the switch off and the client immediately came back to center and was able to respond and, you know, apologize and just say, I'm really sorry, I'm just under a lot of stress. This has nothing to do with you and, and so on and so forth. And I knew that. Um, and so part of my contingency plan is to remember one, if someone lashes out at you over whatever you're doing, it's most likely not related to you there. People are going through things in their own lives that you don't know that you don't hear. And they could sound benign to you like, my dog has a toothache and I need to take them to the vet, which creates financial problems, which then causes me to lash out. Those You don't know what's going on in, in other people's lives. And we all have to take a greater sense of compassion and empathy for people in our interactions and dealings. Not that we shouldn't hold people to commitments, not that there shouldn't be consequences for people not making good on their commitments or renegotiating them effectively with us. But you really don't know what's going on in other people's lives. And just a little bit of showing of that compassion and empathy can actually go so much further in being able to uh, connect with them and then for them to be able to help you get things done. How do you gentlemen deal with people when they snap? Being a person who has been in the world of sales and customer service for a long time, it's often to deal with people who snap. and. Not only that, people who are coming and snapping where you have no prior relationship that you don't understand necessarily what is happening uh, with these people. So coming to try to deal with that and, and understanding how to stay yourself in the solid ground so you can deal better with this person instead of react to this always, always help. And, and, and it's always... An important part, and it's a and it's a skill. Doesn't matter really if you know or don't know the person. It is still a skill, uh, and it's a skill that that you need to have. Francis, any thoughts there? You gave a great example of what I I do be, I do in my wisest moments, which is to make sure that I'm centered myself. So there is a, a possibility that the. The, the interaction could throw me off, especially if it's of an urgent nature or it's in my face. But nowadays, you know, I, I if it's not in my face and it's not urgent, I find that taking a step back to first center myself and make sure that I'm in a good place, deal with any thoughts I'm having that are are unproductive or unwanted, and and all the resulting emotions that come from those thoughts. And I have a, a, a process I picked up from Byron Katie for dealing with them in the moment, a four-step process. But then there's also just the idea that this person, to bring some compassion to it, is in a moment. They're not, this may not be their personality. This may not really be who they are. They're just in a moment. And the best thing sometimes when someone is in a moment is to just give them time. And to wheel and come again, maybe an hour later, or a day later, or a week later, a month, whatever it is, it takes. Let go of your of your initial assumptions or judgments, and then allow them to the space to recover themselves as as needed. And if they come again, and and you realize, okay, that this is not 
this wasn't a moment. This is who they really are. Then there's a different choice. But many times people, especially if you have a background a relationship with them, and you know that's not who they are and that this is just a moment, then it's really useful to give them a grace period just to sort of recover themselves. If that's really who they are, then there, you know, there's a whole business of letting toxic people go. In other words, getting them out of your life in a graceful way. That's, a, that's sometimes called for. Totally understandable. Totally understandable. All right. So we're in our, our final minutes of uh, the recording. And so let's do some action items for folks. What's one action everyone can take to do some contingency planning today? I think play through, play through, play through their, back to this idea of what they need to do on a daily basis, their, their routine activities, their sort of operational core processes. <laughs> That's a real management consulting way of saying the stuff you do every day that you have to do. And think through, do I have enough margin? Do I have enough space, time, money, um, anything I need to recover from the breakage of this core activity? This is not the same as Netflix breaking, which is not a core, hopefully, not a core activity. Hey, careful. But careful. it's along the lines. Of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But it's along the lines of, you know, what if, like, for example, on my Windows system, my, 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 my Microsoft 365 license expired because the company I was getting it, getting it through changed their policies and I had to go and get my own. So I had a backup. I found a backup. But that's, that for me is go-to software that I use every day. But to play through what happens, what happens if you can no longer use Microsoft 365? I'm going through this right now because Windows 7 is supposed to explode on January 1st or something of the sort. So I'm going through my backups and saying, okay, now, now what do I do? What's my next, next best step? But to play it through in your mind, play, the, play, out, play out the failure and say, okay, here's my contingency if this happens. But only do it for the core stuff. Right. And we in, in psychology, we call it rehearsal. And rehearsal is actually very, very powerful for you to be able to uh, both increase your uh, improve your import performance, but also to think about challenges and problems that might face you might face in the future and and tackle those great, great suggestion, Francis. You know, sometimes when when things are not crazy, it's always good to look at what are those key things that you have, you know, as, as, as you mentioned early in the episode, you can go and log in everywhere with your Google credentials. I can do the similar with, with my iOS, with my Apple. So, but what are those things that are key? Where are those things that you need to have plans for those emergencies? Not, I'm not saying you can expect to plan all of them, but you can plan to have a lot of them if you start looking, you know, with them. So what are the ones that you need to have to be able to plan, to be able to be okay and ready when that happens? My one suggestion is to just back up your main device. I know that this seems very simple and uh Maybe the vast majority of you who are listening are already doing that, which you're you're doing a true backup of your main device. But how about going to your family, friends, and colleagues and just making the suggestion to them 
that they back up their main devices. The reason why is that when you, which is, you know, you're probably the most productive person in your world. Um, that tends to be <laughs> the case for people who are productivity minded. We tend to be the people who are most productive in our world. We tend to be the people who are most tech savvy in our own world. That may or may not be you, but when stuff goes wrong, you are going to be the person everybody looks to for advice and for assistance to get themselves back up and, and running. Basically, for a lot of people in your world, you are the contingency plan. I know that I am. And, you know, I get the phone calls from aunts and from my parents and from brothers and sisters and from friends and colleagues. When things go wrong, they come to me. And so I have chosen to be proactive and go out there and say, hey, now is the time to go back up. Hey, by the way, what are you doing with your photos? Are you, are you actually backing those up from your phone? And so on and so forth. And that way, when stuff hits the fan for them, you have already helped them help you by having a backup plan for them. So that would be my suggestion. All right. This has been fun, a really fantastic episode. And, and thanks to Augusto for uh, suggesting the topic. I'm curious from you, listeners, uh, what your experiences are with contingency planning. Let us know if you have a comment about this cast. Hop over to productivitycast.net. There on the episode page at the bottom is a comment section. Feel free to jump in and uh, let us know your uh, contingency plans, uh, maybe some horror stories <laughs> if you want to share them. Uh, but go ahead and, and let us know there at the bottom of the episode, episode page. You can leave a, a comment or a question and one of us will be glad to respond. Uh, there on productivitycast.net, you'll also find the show notes for the episodes. Those will have links to anything that we discussed here. We talked about a couple of things. And so I'll put links to those there in the, in the show notes for you, for you to uh, jump out to. It'll also have a transcript available on the page as well as a PDF download. And you can learn how to follow us in your favorite podcast app there on the website by clicking on the subscribe page link. So there's a little subscribe link there. And on the subscribe page, it has all the various apps and you can go ahead and find out how to follow us there. Uh, now, if you have a question other than this episode's topic, you can go uh, over to productivitycast.net forward slash contact. You can leave us a written message or you can click the little record button and you can actually leave an audio message for us there on the page uh, through your web browser. And my understanding is that it works both on the desktop and mobile. So pretty cool. Also, if you can, if you're an Apple podcast or Stitcher, I think uh, they let you leave a rating or a review. Uh, please feel free to uh, leave us a rating or review. One, it lets us know how we're doing, uh, but it also actually helps the, the you know, apples of the world figure out how to um, show us to more people. And so it really helps us to grow our personal productivity listening community. And so uh, thank you for rating and reviewing us. Uh, thank you for being a part of the community. And we hope that that's helping you have a more professional and personal life that's more productive. So that makes us feel great. Finally, uh, thanks to Augusto and Francis for joining me here on this cast. Uh, here's to your productive life, everybody. Take care. That's it for this Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity, with your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks.